How big can healthcare data be if it ignores the home where patients spend 95% of their time? That's a question that has been posed by and answered by Robert Herzog of eCaring, who I am speaking with today. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I read the other day that productivity is the sum of wisdom times action, which is probably why Robert Herzog gets so much done. The thing that really impressed me about eCaring, which is the system that he has put together, is something that he emphasizes, which is its simplicity and its intuitiveness. And most of the time when he's talking about it, he's kind of talking about it in the context of the iPad app itself. But the other thing that I think really needs to be emphasized here is its simplicity and intuitiveness within the larger picture, i.e. within the users of the system's workflow. The one thing that really impressed me about eCaring was how it is actually, it saves its users time. It's not an extra step. It's actually easier to use eCaring than to not use it. So let's talk to Robert and listen to what he did and how he did it. I am so excited to have Robert Hurtlog on the program today. I had met Robert originally at the 2012 NYEC Digital Health Conference, actually not long before Sandy, the hurricane, wiped out the conference center. So I I guess our meeting definitely ended with an exclamation point. Robert is the CEO and founder of eCaring, which helps seniors safely stay in their homes longer and get the care they need before they have a problem and are admitted or readmitted to the hospital. Uh, The face of eCaring is a really slick iPad app. It really looks great. So I'm really looking forward uh, to talking with Robert today and learning how he managed to pull this off and the results he's seen so far. Welcome to the Relentless Health Value podcast, Robert. Hi, Stacey. Thank you very much for having me on. First of all, let's talk about what sparked your desire to dedicate the hours, the weeks, the years to (laughs) found a company like eCaring? Uh, sure, I'll be happy to. Uh, I've actually been an entrepreneur for many years. I think being an entrepreneur is a little like being an artist. You should only do it if you can't do anything else. Uh, so, But the particulars for me really are, are quite personal. I, my background was not uh, in healthcare. I was much more in digital media, <clears throat> both as a, an entrepreneur and as a creative person uh, involved with uh, media. And I did that uh, happily as a consultant and running companies or helping start them up uh, over quite a few years. And um, some time ago, I ran into the full catastrophe of what it's like to personally have to deal with a home care situation. And that was for my mother, Grace, uh, who was quite a remarkable woman. I think she worked till she was 79 years old in a law firm. Uh, I think she dyed her hair jet black, so nobody would know how old she was. Um, but she was terrific and very sharp, and she retired and had a few good years. And then she had a few years that got bad to worse to worse. And in that process, I encountered all of the, the difficulties of when you, someone you love, and I was very close with my mother, um, starts needing outside assistance in, in escalating degrees. And I don't think anybody is really prepared for that emotionally, logistically, and even financially. It's just very, very difficult. So my mother went through a, a time where she went from in, being independent to needing assistance in the home, 
And then finally, uh, it deteriorated to the point where she ended up in a nursing home and passed away. And after that happened, I thought to myself, this is kind of weird, you know, I've, been, I've learned all these lessons and I'll never use them again. And then I started seeing other people who were really in the same, going through the same situation that I am, my peers in particular, I'm sort of a leading edge uh, baby boomer. So uh, I saw people going through the same thing and there was sort of the compassionate 60 side of me, if you like, and said, boy, people really deserve better. And then there was the entrepreneurial side of me that said, people, uh, this is a real business. This is an opportunity to really help people um, navigate one of the most difficult passages in anybody's lives, in multiple people's lives in a way that would really be uh, very, very meaningful. So that really got me into it. So I talked to a lot of people who have great ideas and who have had a, a, you know, a personal experience which has led them to understand that there is a need in the marketplace. But you actually opened up a company to solve that need. How did you assure yourself that this need was really viable um, for a business. Beyond your own personal anecdotal experience, did you do any quantitative market research or, you know, how did you really convince yourself that this market need was big enough to warrant opening up a business to satisfy that need? Well, I have an orientation towards starting businesses, (laughs) sort of instinctive. I, I think really what sparked it just was the intense experience and the realization afterwards what you, that in home care, what you don't know can hurt you. The issue is that you, you start with, uh, you know, for me, my mother, you know, mom, strangers come to mom's house and they're often well-meaning strangers who can be, bring a lot to the table in terms of quality of life. But nonetheless, when the door closes, the home is a black box in which you cannot get good, meaningful, real-time information that can help you act to intervene early to prevent small problems from becoming big ones. And I saw that very close and upfront. My mother's first hospitalization was when she started hallucinating, which was a shock for somebody with a mind as sharp as she had. And it turned out that she was hallucinating because she had a urinary tract infection. She had a urinary tract infection because she was dehydrated. She was dehydrated because she wasn't drinking water and she wasn't drinking water because she was a very proud woman. She was starting to have trouble going to the bathroom by herself and wouldn't tell anybody. So her response was to try to handle it on her own. So there was a, a cascading series of events. And with the system that I've helped to create, be caring, we would have known right away that somebody wasn't drinking water. And if you could intercept and see that trend as it occurred, it would mean that you could prevent a tens of thousands of dollars and all the horrors of hospital visits and rehabilitation and in and out leading to a downward spiral. So I, I experienced that firsthand. And as I said, I guess I didn't, I did enough market research to see that that interaction, that funny interaction between a home aid and a patient in their home, which is a small, it's a $20 an hour, you know, $8, $10 an hour person getting paid for it, interaction was the hub of a $75 billion business. So it's a mammoth and growing set of issues. So I certainly examined the demographics of you know, the aging population and the elderly, elderly getting increasing numbers in, in the population, but really also the economics of home care, uh, the needs for it, the shortages of people to provide home care and the need to push down, increase the functionality in the home for the caregiver, the home aid, or the patient themselves, so they can do more to help take care of themselves. 
So yeah, so I certainly examined all that, but I think that the the initiating impulse really was based upon personal experience and observation. There are three things that you said there that I, I found absolutely interesting. The first thing was about how you used both your own experience and your own wisdom, but overlaid that with data in order to determine the best route or to determine whether this your business had had viability. I, I think so often people either rely on data alone or maybe their own experience alone in order to draw conclusions and that you can easily go astray unless you have both quantitative framework as well as wisdom with which to interpret those data results. The second thing that you said that I thought was really interesting was about how you you really also considered the value of what you were doing from not only your own point of view, that you were able to look across the industry and see that what you were doing also had value to other stakeholders, like, for example, long-term care plans or, or other you know institutions within the industry. So I'd like to talk about a couple of those things a, a, a little bit more. Before we get to that, though, what I'd like to hear is more about eCaring, you know, how, how it works, what it is. You had mentioned that before eCaring, the, the home was a black box. Can you tell us how eCaring reveals the inside of that black box? <laughs> sure. Uh, so what we did was we created um, a software system and invented an icon-based language that uses symbols to enter the critical care information in the home. And that can be uh, information about uh, eating patterns, uh, sleeping habits, whether somebody is taking their medication, uh, recording their vital signs, personal activities with daily living they're called, are they bathing, dressing. We collect information on mental state, somebody angry, uh, confused or happy, which is very useful, of course, for dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's patients. Uh, health issues, uh, a pain, pain scale, or you can note when a fever started or diarrhea began. You can pick up on special problems such as if somebody fell or lost consciousness or started having trouble with their hearing. Um, setting up appointments for doctors, which is a critical component in maintaining your health, particularly if you just left the hospital. So we have sets of icons in these different categories. And then they're on either, uh, mostly we provide a tablet, as you noted, in the home. So on a touch screen, the home aide can, who learns this system very, very quickly and we train scores of aides in using it. For them, it's almost like playing a video game. Uh, but it empowers them to provide much more information than they otherwise provide. The current state of the art, just so you understand, in, in home care, people still use paper, so they record few things that they did and once every week or two it's taken it's used strictly for billing and reimbursement purposes where there are telephone systems where an aide can get to the home they dial in to say i'm here at the end of their shift and only at the end of their shift they dial out and they can say a few things that they've done although a lot of systems are just used for timing time and attendance so there's no sequential stamp data if somebody fell or had a problem you wouldn't know what they were doing right before that um, and over the course of the day if, there, if a problem occurs, there's no way with those systems to get that out in real time. So we have a system where the information is entered and constantly being uploaded so that a care manager in a professional care management organization or a family member or a primary care physician or specialist, anybody involved in the care of that patient on their care team uh, has instant access in real time through the internet, it's cloud-based in order to see what's going on and by that with that information they can then respond in real time 
uh, we, we have algorithms that take a lot of data and translate it down into alerts, uh, situations that require immediate attention. I can give you some examples of that. But, but in general, we, we create a system that filters information so that the people taking care of patients, particularly care managers who may have 50, 100, 200 patients under their case management mode, can really focus their resources onto the, or to the people that most need them. And at the same time, they can not provide resources that are not needed for people who don't. So it increases the efficiency and productivity of care management systemically. So who is paying for e-caring these days? Is is it still the family? Well, here's, here's actually not anymore. We started with people like you and me taking care of mom or dad. And uh, I did that for some time. And that's when I really created the first system. I talked to um, people uh, in home care agencies, people who used AIDS, people who provided AIDS, and then I people involved with multi-tier facilities from independent living to assisted living to nursing home. And then I kind of produced, if you like, a system by bringing in artists and technologists, some very bright, smart people who uh, had a very visual sense about how we could convey information once we realized that we had to begin with the homemade, who nobody else has focused on in the industry. You know, what are the skills and capabilities of the homemade? How do we really engage them and get the knowledge that they have out into the world? So it began for families taking care of family members. Uh, but that's kind of a hard road to hoe with regard to acquiring users. We provided an on-site uh, website with the ability to get that, but it's a complicated transaction. It's not like you push a button, download a PDF, and you've got your service. Could you talk a little bit about training and how difficult it is to roll out e-caring across a workforce of home care workers? I would think that if I were a home health agency or uh, you know a, a plan of any kind, that this would be a really important decision-making criteria for me that would determine the cost-effectiveness of the uh, of the system. If it was very difficult to roll out, I, I might think about it twice. Well, I mean, happily, I would say that training is quite easy. We have manuals and videos online and, and readily available. And we've trained, as I say, a lot of aides, and most of them pick it up very, very quickly. And we had one woman, a 55-year-old Hispanic-speaking woman, who had never used the computer and for whom English was a second language. She was quite apprehensive. And within an hour, she was up and running and feeling really good about being up and running on a computer using the system. So the training isn't the big issue, but it is a complicated set of transactions. And then, frankly, the world kind of changed on us in ways that were, were good for the business, if you like. And that is that the Affordable Care Act came into play, along with all of the industry trends towards aging in place, as you mentioned earlier, keeping people at home, but also instead of providing a fee-for-service basis for providing services, they the industry is moving to capitated rates so that there's a fixed rate per person per month, say, that a plan or an agency gets for taking care of somebody. Well, that means you have a ceiling. If you don't live within that ceiling, it will crash down on you and the agency will not survive. So it was at this point that you started to realize that the home health agency or, or institutions were much better customers for e-caring than going directly to a family, B2C. As we saw that enterprises were now having new mandates, regulatory requirements, financial imperatives, really, for dealing with home care and really the total cost of care for a patient very differently. That impelled us to, to say, gee, you know, if we get one enterprise, one agency or managed long-term care plan, that could be several thousand patients. 
And that would enable us to really expand much more quickly. And as we did that, we would interface a lot more with families that in turn could create a sort of a B2C to B virality with regard to moving the product along. And how did you get that first customer? Uh, well, our first individual customers were you know, friends and family kind of people in the same boat. But our first uh, institutional customers, I was I was fortunate really uh, knowing some people who were really well placed within the healthcare environment, particularly in the New York State region. So both between our uh, early people who joined the company and uh, some early investors, we were able to develop relationships that got us into. Uh, long-term care plans, uh, hospitals, agencies that were, and we you talked to a lot of people, but we found people that were ripe for change, that were open to change. And I, I think that's that's really important to understand. The healthcare industry has changed so rapidly, uh, so quickly. The people involved in it, there are huge cultural divides really between, you know, when I first started talking about bringing digital media to healthcare IT, people look at me cross-eyed, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And now I think there's a growing recognition of the need for change. But the people who are in healthcare positions, from care managers up to uh, C-suite you know, kinds of people, they're dealing with a lot of difficult problems. And their past, their job descriptions and their skill sets and their habits and attitudes aren't necessarily designed, weren't designed to cope with the meeting the need for these kind of changes. So I think as a company, what eCaring tries to do is internally bridge this divide between bringing the benefits of digital media into healthcare IT. And we have to do that internally as a company, which is a, always is a, a struggle for us to understand how we can then bring that to our customers. And that's a constant process for us. Uh, we have a relentless drive towards simplicity, towards intuitive, easy to use, towards the visual. And we do that for the home aid, but we also do that for the care manager, for the family member, anybody involved on in taking care of that patient, because that's the way you're going to get broad and rapid implementation. So could you talk a little bit about the kinds of institutions that are most apt to use e-caring? Would, would it be the long-term care facilities themselves? No, no, we're, we're talking about plans, so, because this is home, primarily home care. I mean, there are applications for us with assisted living facilities and, and uh, skilled nursing facilities or, or nursing homes. But our primary employment right now is with managed long-term care plans, uh, organizations that are taking on, as I said, the care, the responsibility and the costs associated with care for patients. So that's licensed or certified home health agencies, managed long-term care plans. Um, also, we've worked with hospitals because hospitals are under a great deal of pressure to reduce their readmission rates. They get penalized if they have an excess number of readmissions within 30 days of people being discharged. And the penalties can be quite substantial. So we work with hospitals to manage the 30-day period, but that's almost like a lead gen program for us to get to the 365-day life, because that's where you can really have meaningful impact on keeping people out of the ER, keeping them out of the hospital, and that's what we do every day. So that's that's the goal for us. So it's a it's a combination of working with different kinds of organizations, uh, accountable care organizations, which are a rapidly growing element within the healthcare ecosystem medical homes, patient-centered medical homes, because we're the only way really that you can get information from the home. You can get data from a hospital, of course, and there's data that increasingly, although still limited, comes from from doctor's offices. But the home is still not a good source for data, and yet the home is where the patient spends 95% of their life. So everybody talks about bringing big data to solve problems, but how big can healthcare data be if it ignores the venue where 95% of the patient's time is spent, and that's the home. 
So we solved that problem. And then we, by doing that and bringing the home data into the ecosystem for the providers, the payers, the plans, uh, we're able to create a much more comprehensive portrait of the patient. And again, that's all drives towards monitoring the patient so you can intervene earlier, so you can keep small problems in the home from becoming big ones in the, in the hospital. So let's talk about the implementation kind of in a, in a stepwise fashion. Would step one be that each home care worker is, is equipped with, with their own tablet? Well, the home, we, we put it in the home. It stays in the home. Oh, so that's how you make sure that everyone who is visiting the home is able to enter information into a tablet. Yeah. I was thinking that there might be a problem if somebody new shows up or somebody who doesn't normally visit patients somehow or another um, visits that particular patient that wouldn't have a, ta- a, a tablet. We, there would be information that would be missing. That's exactly right. You know, most, most of the households that we install in are low-income households and they don't have broadband and they don't have you know, internet access, uh, wireless, uh, or, or a computer, frankly, in the home. So we are often the only internet-connected device in the home. And we provide the tablet, we provide a data plan, and then we do what's called remote monitoring of the device so we can keep track of it, essentially. But we provide that in the home. We mount it on a kiosk. It's heavy. Frankly, we'll lock it down so you can't use many other applications. Although we do add, for, we have a program called eCaring Independent for seniors who live by themselves. And for them, we put on games, a luminosity and uh, things like that in order to help them be engaged with the device and to help them with their lives. But the device itself, we plant the tablet in the home and it stays there. So then the information is input into the tablet. The data is fired up into the cloud. How does the health plan that has is using e-caring, you know, that's paying for e-caring. How, how do they make sure that the data is being used in a way that they get their money's worth, that they're actually preventing small things from becoming large things? <clears throat> we have, this is a, effectively a case study, an 82-year-old woman who's diabetic, uh, her blood sugar drops to 70. She lives in a low, she's a low-income person. Her typical response, she feels bad because of the low blood sugar. She also feels very nervous about it. The typical response is to go to the ER room and use the ER room almost as her primary care uh, provider. That's an expensive proposition. So with e-caring, blood sugar drops to 70. The aide, we have these wonderful, beautiful sliders on the system that are really easy to use. So the aide sees the reading from the glucometer and enters 70 into the system. And that means is you don't need to have a Bluetooth-enabled telemonitoring device that's very expensive and, and not very broadly distributed. Any diabetic, any person who's got a heart condition and has a scale, has access to be able to use and enter vital signs in the e-caring system. So the aid enters 70. That's a flagged alert because the alerts are preset and probably say, anytime there's a blood sugar reading below 100, let us know, or above 250 or 300, whatever the range is. So an out-of-range reading is flagged immediately on the care manager's screen their e-caring screen in their office and at the same time they'll get either an email or a text message also alerting them that a patient is in alert status uh, and needs immediate attention. So blood sugar reading 70 is entered by the aide, care manager receives that information within a minute or two is calling into the home to find out what's going on. Ascertains the problem, says don't worry we'll get you to the ER if you need to but why don't you try drinking a glass of orange juice. Or if it's um, another kind of condition, maybe it's, you know, check on your medication or it's to uh, deal with a certain kind of uh, other issue. And and what happens is within a half hour in that situation, blood sugar goes back to 106, patient feels better, 
and you avoided an eighteen hundred dollar ER visit. That's a typical and standard thing that we do all the time with using eCaring. Does eCaring interface with any electronic health record systems, or is it possible that the data collected from eCaring could be amassed into a, a larger data pool in, in any way? Right now, we're a freestanding separate system. We program out into the language called HL7 of those EHRs. Most of our clients right now are using our, all of our clients are using our system independently of any any EHR in order to just get the maximum benefits from the use of the system, which is this real-time actionable data from the home that they don't get any other way. Down the road, I expect that we will integrate to both populate those those systems with our data and to pull data from those systems into what we have. So we'll probably look to uh, incorporate with the health information exchange. Uh, there are several in New York State, for example, and that would enable us to become easily interoperable with the various EHRs. That makes a lot of sense. So if you take the the route of a health information exchange, then your interoperability with individual EHR systems becomes a little bit less less critical and you can still get the information to physicians. Yeah, but as again, right now, the first line of response is generally a clinician, an RN, or even a social worker who's receiving the alert within the system or is noticing a trend, somebody is sleeping differently, eating differently, going to the bathroom differently, and they observe that trend, and then they call into the home, talk to the aide, talk to the patient, and that's really the beginning of, of and a lot of those situations are responded to. Now, there are some situations where that call says, gee, we need to escalate this, so maybe we need to do a telehealth visit um, or bring a doctor on call into the home, and that happens using our system as well. Um, it still is avoiding the horrors of the visit to the hospital, the ambulance ride, the exposure to hospital infections, et cetera. So it's a much better uh, way to manage most of this. So there's a, obviously there's a lot of both financial and just human reasons to use your, your, your system. So when you go into a new customer, wh- what are the barriers? You know, what are they very concerned about when you're, you're talking through, the, through a system with someone new? That's a very good question <laughs> in the sense that obviously it's the, the key to our ability to expand. We're, we're very fortunate right now to have a, a number of terrific organizations. Uh, very large healthcare, home healthcare providers like Metropolitan Jewish Health System, uh, Jewish Home Life Care, Senior Health Partners, which is the managed long-term care plan for Health First, huge insurer in the area. So I think that when we go in and talk to people and we show them the system, everybody says it's unique, it's fantastic, it's great. But then the question becomes, okay, what's the when the rubber meets the road? How do we actually deploy this? And that's where you get issues about, well, how does it integrate with our existing systems? How will the aides be trained? How will our care managers be trained? And we, we provide all that training for people um, and we support them. We oversee the, the deployment of the tablets in the field and getting them to the homes. We interface directly with the patients and the aides. And then we train people in the organizations to in turn train other aides, <coughs> train their own care managers, et cetera. So there's a, an extensive process of working through this. One of the things, that we present a complete menu of all of the icons, all of the data points that you can be entered in our system. And then we let the individual customer, the agency, the plan, choose those icons that they most want to follow. So the system is completely customized or configured by population of patients, by condition, or by individual patient. So that gives people a lot of comfort that they're tracking the information that they most want to track. At the same time, any data point in our system, whether it's behavioral, clinical, vital signs, 
where medication adherence, which we also track, can be customized and configured into an alert. So I think that there's a process. And this, I will say, this is new for a lot of people, as I was saying earlier. And organizations, as they get comfortable with it, um, they then use it more and more. So we've had a number of small pilots, and now we're every one of those is growing into a larger user base. So I, I think it's a, it's a process of learning and introducing people to it's a very different way of thinking things. But people who are used to using paper and telephony, those systems are in place. So I often say one of our biggest competitors, if you like, is just inertia. It's just to overcome the habits of the way things are being done by introducing an infinitely deeper and richer data source to be able to manage these patients. And I think there is an enormous amount of research that supports exactly what you're saying. In fact, the other day I was listening to a TED talk by Dr. Vinod Kasla from Stanford, and he cited some work that had been done by Kaiser. They had simply looked at, at a data set and actually reduced mortality, patient mortality by over 44% simply by understanding that a protocol needed to be changed and making sure that the right right patients received the right care. I think the data is as good as what you do with it. So I guess I have two comments on that. The first is simply nobody generates data from the home that's actionable, meaningful, in real time the way that we do. But then even with that, I mean, we generate between 300,000 data points per patient per month. We are a new source of big healthcare data. But with all that data, like any management information system, it needs to be filtered, run through algorithms, and assessed so that for the user of the data, that data is immediately accessible and useful as quickly and as simply as possible. So we spend a lot of time working with care managers. How do we fit into their workflow? How do we present you with information? So that when they sign in in the morning, they'll see every patient who's in alert status. And over the course of the day and the week, they can track these alerts and we codify the outcomes to the alerts. How many led to prevention of ER visits or hospital visits? How many required a change in the aid or training for the aid? Um, some of them are invalid or sometimes you get an alert, somebody's blood pressure is spiked and it turns out they've eaten Chinese food you know, the night before and had a lot of salt and that had a big impact on them. So you learn over time with this longitudinal data how to use it to really affect good change and positive change in the home itself. Two things that you said there that I thought were, were really interesting. The first is is how how hard you work to make sure that you are part of the the workflow that exists relative to both the home care worker as well as the care manager. You know, one of the complaints that we often hear from providers is that the technology is difficult to use or it doesn't fit cleanly or seamlessly into their their workflow, that it's an extra step or it's not there's nothing to necessarily trigger action. And that really diminishes the functionality of the product. You know, if the product itself is lovely, but the way that it fits into the workflow is clunky, that really causes issues. So I thought that was really interesting and, and done very well. The second thing I think was really interesting about what you said is, is how you are calculating what the return on investment, the ROI is to the institution. Because if they're trying to figure out the most efficient way to run their business, and you're demonstrating to them that you're offering them advantages over not having, you know, over inertia or not having a system like yours, you know, that could be very compelling. Obviously, so compelling um, that you were able to secure some large funding recently. Do you want to talk about that a bit? <laughs> uh, well, we were very pleased. We had uh, received some early funding from uh, 
people involved in healthcare, and then recently closed a, a, what's called the Series A financing round, about three and a half million dollars, uh, led by a terrific uh, venture capital firm who sent Biomedical Ventures, a very creative and, I like to think, intelligent team that can spot a good deal when they see one. Uh, but it's enabled us certainly to expand our uh, development uh, really nicely. Particularly, we've added some very experienced salespeople on. Uh, people who really know this industry well have done business development, uh, selling, and product development so that we can ensure that <clears throat> what we're developing really fits in well with the needs of the clients and customers that we're targeting. So it's been a nice uh, experience and uh, having money is better than that. I, I, <laughs> I tell people last year I was a Hanukkah oil startup. I made one month's worth of money last for eight. Uh, I don't recommend it to anybody, but sometimes you need to do it. But this year, happily, we have another set of problems, but they're a different set. The one thing that I was really impressed by the last time that I spoke with you and then also throughout this conversation is how well you understand your customer and sort of the nuances and the needs of this really vast space. You know, even your corner of the world is is gigantic. What do you read or what do you do to, to, to really stay on top of things? I talk to people. I think it's, it's, it's I, I, I read some you know, online, you're constantly sort of coming across stuff, uh, product offerings, uh, conceptual pieces, uh, discussions about what's happening with accountable care organizations or managed care. <clears throat> but for me, I think the best learning is uh, the new people that brought on board, very experienced uh, in healthcare, in providing healthcare. Some of my original partners, I mean, our, our head of care management was the CEO of a visiting nurse association. Our head of business development uh, was going uh, to major player in New York State for 40 years. It's impossible, I think, for any one person to keep up with every element of you know, what's happening with uh, new programs, new mandates, new changes, and so on. So you want to, frankly, I try to get people you know, a lot more knowledgeable and smarter than I am about it and, and, and talk to them as much as I can about what's keeping up and try to keep focused. I think that, that, I'll go back to what I said earlier, I think that for the customer, I really do believe that simplicity is the most significant component that we can provide to them, provide a system that's really easy and intuitive to use for the entire spectrum of users, from the aide to the care manager to the executive. And I talk to them a lot, you know, we're fortunate to have really good uh, customers who are very open and very, frankly, evangelical with regard to how our system can be used to improve uh, the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, because we're talking about very big numbers here, you know, they, we have a, we did a program that reduced the cost for Medicaid, Medicare dual eligibles by hundreds of dollars per patient per month. Well, there are nine million dual eligible patients in the United States, almost eight hundred thousand in New York State alone. So when we talk to people and say we can cut the cost of those people, their utilization of the emergency room, of hospital visits, of nurses and MD visits, and drugs and ambulances. Well, people listen. I mean, it's, there's still implementation and deployment issues. So they'll talk to me because they'll tell me, look, if you could do this, then I think it would be that much better. I mean, we're, we're building a, um, a modules uh, for better tracking of the aids in the home because patients have asked us to do that. We learn from the home aids. We had one, you know, home aids uh, said you need something for positioning, for showing that somebody has been turned because if they're bed bound, then that can lead to bed sores and that can lead to terrible complications. Or crying is an icon that we added based upon an aid providing input for us. So we talk to home aides uh, because they know what's going on in the home better than anybody. We talk to family members and then we talk to people in the industry. I do and other people you know, who work with me in the organization. 
so that's that's primarily it. I'm constantly looking online and seeing what's you know what's new out there. There are a lot of new healthcare startups that are trying to address some of these problems. So I try to keep up with them. I have some friends who are other CEOs or senior and other organizations. We get together and occasionally and talk about how crazy it is to be a CEO in healthcare in a startup. But nonetheless, we keep doing it. So I think it's a process of really talking to people and then figuring out and then focusing on the few things that right now are the most important things you can do for your client, working through those as well as possible. Because the, the interaction with the client and the feedback you get is critical for them being able to expand the base. And so we, I'm always um, working on client implementation and client success because that really comes back to help us. If we can solve the problem for one managed long-term care plan, we've solved the problem for you know hundreds of managed long-term care plans around the country. So there's a great leverage from learning and, and about what's going on. Well, it certainly sounds like your new Salesforce has a great story with which to go forth and conquer. They like it. <laughs> they tell me they like it. So if someone has an interest in learning more about eCaring, where should they go? Well, then go to ecaring.com and see some videos there. There's ways to connect to us. I think info at ecaring.com, for example. We have a terrific director of communications, Melody Wilding, and we are always open, particularly with enterprises, but even individuals, to give you demonstrations, show how the system works and how it might work with your organization. So once you go online, uh, there are a whole lot of ways in which you can contact us. And there are videos uh, that demonstrate some of the different components of the system. Um, I have to say a little bit out of date from where we are now, but they give a pretty good sense about that. And then when we work with customers and clients, we have uh, manuals and videos for explanation, further detailed instructions and step-by-step really how to install the system, how to use it, how to use the data to your benefit. So a lot of ways to get that. But the website's probably the best way to start. Or info at ecaring.com. So ecaring.com or info at ecaring.com. I will also post this information over at the relentlesshealthvalue.com website in the show notes. So you can definitely take a look there as well. There will be links back to the eCaring website. Yeah, or you can. I think you can do questions at ecaring.com also. So one way or the other, you can get to us. <laughs> so I've been talking today with Robert Herzog from eCaring. Thank you so much, Robert, for being on the show today. I have to say that I found your your commitment and your passion the first time I talked with you very inspiring and even more so today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for that. So I hope you found that as inspirational as I did. I think eCaring is a really great example of a product that solves a problem shared by multiple stakeholders across the marketplace. If you want more information about eCaring, go to RelentlessHealthValue.com, episode one. Or alternately, you can, as Robert suggested, write an email to questions at eCaring.com or go to their website, eCaring.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you tune in next week for another interview with an American healthcare leader.